This is episode number 131 with adventure seeker Donald Schultz. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Now, I want to introduce you guys to a very uh, special guest on the School of Greatness today. His name is Mr. Donald Schultz, and he is born in South Africa. He is a filmmaker, animal expert, writer, photographer, and extreme adventurer that just loves to have fun in life. He started to work with reptiles at the age of 13 and was fortunate to have an internship at the world-famous Fitzsimmons Snake Park, where he received a sound schooling in herpetology. His love affair with dangerous activities extends beyond just his work, and he tries to incorporate the two whenever possible. He is an avid skydiver, base jumper, and highly specialized scuba diver, having been certified as the youngest class two commercial diver in Africa. Very interesting guy, and I'm excited to dive into this episode with Donald as we cover a wide range of topics. And one of the topics that I'd like to talk about in this specific episode is about fear and the fears we have in life, how to overcome fear, and what's necessary in order to reach flow states whenever our biggest fears come up. And I think this is something that we can all learn to tap into is how to overcome our fear and embrace our fear and really tap into that flow state whenever fear arises. So I'm very excited to dive into this episode with Donald because he's just such an interesting guy and the stories he's going to share with you right now, some of them are going to blow you away. So make sure to pay attention and listen all the way through. So let's go ahead and dive into this episode, episode number 131 with the one and only Donald Schultz. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA. Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Summer. The best time of year usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to the School of Greatness podcast. Very excited about today's guest. His name is Mr. Donald Schultz. What's up, Donald? Hey, Lewis. How's it going? It's good, man. And uh, the more I, first, I met you originally through Aubrey Marcus down in Austin, Texas with On It and love him and the whole team and what they're up to. And the more I've been researching about you and the more videos I watch, it's like this mesmerizing I don't know, trance, just watching your videos because you do so much. It's not like you just do one thing really extremely well. You do all these different things at a high level, and it's mesmerizing because it's so dangerous. So <laughs> I want to I wanna talk about all these things that you're up to um, and, and really dive into fear a lot. I want to cover fear a lot in this because I feel like you've mastered fear, but maybe – you haven't mastered fear, and it's just something you learn to manage every time you t undertake one of these things. So um, can we talk about specifically 
just give a rundown of all the different things you do. In our introduction, I, I'm going to talk about you as well and, and, and let, let people know all the things you've done. But can you just give a rundown of like, in your point of view, what are all the things that you do? Okay, well, I mean, the best best way to probably go through it is chronologically. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for chatting to me. It was, it was absolutely mesmerizing watching you and what you do. And I was like, wow, who is this guy? And obviously <laughs> researching you, I'm like, oh, holy shit. Like, there's some really, really <laughs> cool people out there. And a lot of them are friends with Aubrey, which is, yeah. which is handy. Um, so, so basically, I was born and raised in South Africa, hence the, the funny accent. Uh, started working with animals when I was about six years old. And that's, you know, catching snakes and whatnot. Um, and then professionally, when I was 12 or 13, um, at, a, at a snake park. So I got a really good school, schooling in snakes and, and deadly, deadly animals. Um, became a commercial diver in South Africa right after apartheid fell. So was diving with the military, diving with the police force, doing some pretty high level um, you know, underwater work, underwater explosives and, and um, you know, welding and body recovery and things like that. Uh, moved to the States in 2002 um, Decided to pursue my, my love of animals more and start working in a veterinary hospital, then a specialty hospital, then start going to college to become a veterinarian and realized that, um, you know, I preferred being in the field. So kind of went back to working with animals in their natural environments and using what I'd learned at the, at the animal hospital. Um, that all then came full circle to me um, getting a TV show about what I was doing. So in doing that, I uh, learned more about photography, videography, um, and so on. And then during one of these shows, the, the executive producer was like, would you jump out of a plane? I'm like, in a heartbeat. <laughs> so cut, cut to two years later, I'm jumping out of planes and wingsuiting and all sorts of things. And then, then the, the, you know, the general take home from all of this is, is I'm a storyteller. So, you know, everywhere I go, I either have a you know, video camera or a story camera while I write about it or, or just tell people about what I'm, what I'm doing. Um, and having grown up in South Africa, you know, you kind of get to realize that no one's an expert in anything. You know, everyone starts off as a novice. So I'm like, well, why can't I do that? You know, if that guy can do it, he's, he didn't get born with that skill. He, he obviously acquired it. So um, some of the things I do is, is um, make film. Um, some of the topics range from, from conservation to rhinoceros poaching to wingsuit proximity flying, which is when you jump off rocks and fly next to them really close with wingsuits. Uh, I've been a cameraman on Shark Week. Um, I've, you know, we're doing a bunch of documentaries now with Aubrey with, um, with regards to entheogens or, or sacred medicine. Mm -hmm. um, I work in, in the largest animal hospital potentially in the world here in, in Los Angeles uh, when I'm not traveling. Um, and then the rest of it's kind of, you know, as, as my attention grabs it, then I sort of pursue it till I, I feel like I've done all I can do and I move on to the next thing. So yeah, wingsuiting, rebreather, diving, shark filming, snake catching, uh, base jumping, you know, filmmaker would probably be the most accurate. Just a couple of days. Yeah. It's a funny one because I've got a manager and an agent and my manager hates me because he doesn't it's know too how much to, to sell me. It's yeah, too much. Then, yeah. And, and, and you go into a room and people are like, well, what do you do? I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? Because, I mean, I, I, <laughs> it's hard to pigeonhole a human being. And I think that's one of the big tragedies of, of our day and age. Everyone either has to be an accountant or a mechanic you know, or an adventurer. You, why can't you do everything? Like, mm. It's bullshit. <laughs> I, like, I like that. I mean, there's a few things I want to speak into there. And th I'm going to have a couple of videos uh, linked up on the show notes. I'll let you guys know what this link is at the end of this episode to, to see Donald's videos of this but there's like a video of you getting like bitten by a shark underwater and like just letting the shark bite you or something. i think it looks like that i'm like what is happening here you're catching like oh, yeah. you're catching like black mambas with your bare hands you're like you you also did a show where you had lived with like a hundred snakes in a box on in vegas strip for like a week or something like that right so yeah. there's there's all these crazy things you do and i'll have links to all of them and before i ask you my first question which i originally i planned I feel like I'm in some ways similar to you, really not into what you do, but in some ways I like to do it all. I like to master it all. I like to be curious about everything that's exciting to me or interesting to me. And then I like to take a three to six months and throw my entire soul into that passion or hobby or experience so that I can become you know, the best that I can become at that experience or passion or thing in that amount of time. And then I move on to the next and I'll constantly use that skill that I learned or use that experience 
and add flavor to the next experience that I build upon or to the relationships I have in my life. And I find that the most enjoyable thing to do in life is to have multiple talents and multiple hobbies as opposed to one thing, like you said, most people want you to be able to do. So I feel like we're in some ways similar there. And I think it's the best way to live life, don't you? Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, the, the, there's the Bruce Lee saying, I fear the man more that's practiced one kick 10,000 times than the man who's practiced 10,000 kicks one time, which is true. You don't want to be totally like, oh, I'm doing this and I'm doing this. But, you know, the three to six month part is a, is a really good, you know, getting your feet wet rather than doing something like, oh, that's not for me. You know, if we, we quit everything that we didn't enjoy the first time, we wouldn't do anything. Like a lot of things aren't enjoyable the first time. But I look at it as like a bell curve. You know, in the beginning, it's kind of slow to start. Then you have this, you know, exponential rate of growth and then it levels off. And then the, the, the gains are really, really small. Um, so usually what I do is, is kind of like you is I f- fixate on something <laughs> where I get to that meaty part of the bell curve when it's really good. And when I get to the point where it's a lot of effort for not much increase in return, I'm like, okay, cool. I did that. It was amazing. I, I think I'm, you know, I'm above the average person when it comes to the skill. And I'm going to steal all this information and use what I've learned in scuba diving and skydiving. And use what I learned in skydiving in filmmaking and using what I'm you know, doing in filmmaking in reptiles. And, and you have all these different worlds sort of you know, merging. Male minds look at things as parts. Female minds look at things as holes. And I think you know, one of the big problems with us now is we're looking at the world as pieces instead of this big hole. And, and people battle to understand things because they're so, they're so well-driven and so well-versed in this area of expertise, but they have no clue how to do anything else. And that's where it becomes hard to you know, have this, this renaissance man kind of you know, multimodal worldview, kind of like a Google Earth view. Everyone's on the, on the street level. Mm, that's a good way to look at it. Interesting. You know, one of the things that I found about you when I was researching you, or at least I think it's true, you can speak into this, is that you're actually afraid of spiders and heights. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid of a few things. And, and that's the, the weird, like, it, it's a classic, you know, Hollywood producer thing. People hear I'm scared of spiders. And they're like, will you work with spiders? I'm like, well, yeah, of course I'll work with them. But, you know, if it's a choice between cuddling a puppy and catching a spider, I'm like, I'm going to go after the puppy. Like, it is. <laughs> you, don't want a, you don't want a tarantula on your face at night? No, yeah. And it's one of those things. Like, I had, a, I had a scary incident as a kid. My dad and I were catching, looking for snakes, and we saw a baboon spider, which is like the African, you know, toxic, aggressive version of, of a tarantula. And it scared the daylights out of me. And that stuck with me, you know, my whole life. And, and once I became older and I understood. The mechanics of spiders, because you know now it's not a phobia anymore. It's just like I don't want to work with them. The reason I, I'm I don't like working with them in you know in my current form is they're really fragile. Like if a tarantula falls two or three inches, it will die. It actually split his abdomen. So I'm very with animals. I'm either you know hands off or hands on. Like I'm either at a close distance and I know what they're going to do, or if they're getting away grab them and, and handle them safely. And with a spider, that's really difficult, uh, both for yourself and the spider. So it's one of those things where it's not so much a phobia anymore where I'm like, ah, spiders are so scary. But it's like it's a real you know, working knowledge. I'm like, well, uh, out of all the things, it, it's, not, it's not, you know, it, I'd rather take a tiger onto a show than a tarantula, to be totally honest. Wow, interesting. What do you think creates fear for people? What do you think we have fear uh, why do you think, do you think there's always an experience when we're younger that defines the fears we have for the rest of our lives? And how does one overcome it if they ever can? So um, fear, fear is interesting because, um, you know, Bill Hicks famously said there's, there's only two emotions in the world, love and fear. And you, you, you go between those. And if you read um, the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, who's Hermes Trismegistus, like one of the greatest thinkers of our mind, he said, in polarity, there's no positive or negative. It's all the same thing. So if you look at temperature, you don't have hot or cold. Everything is de- you know, de- degrees of the same temperature. Everything's temperature. So if you look at love and fear, it's the, it's the same thing. You know, it's just a negative form of love. Um, so, so for me, fear is an, an sort of unsubstantiated love. It's like kind of a, a, a perverted form of love. And most of it comes from ignorance or um, misunderstanding. So, you know, a lot of people will fear things that they don't know. And that's a you know, famous saying. And, and a, a lot of times, if you look at um, how we're raised, um, we, we are programmed to fear certain things. Other things are, are you know, ingrained in our DNA. So, so, you know, some of it's nature, some of it's nurture. 
But if you, you know, go back as far as the Bible, you know, people are, are bagging on snakes in the Bible saying, you know, snakes were the reason for the downfall of humanity. It's like, well, if you want to program a child, you know, put, put it in potentially the most influential book in their, in their you know, young life and have everyone say the snake is evil. And that's, that's a pretty good way to get a fear out of it. Um, other things like uh, it's a really interesting experiment they did with kids is they showed three old kids stuffed um, bear, lion, shark toys and then stuffed crocodile toys. And the children had an ingrained fear of crocodiles. And that's not a, a, a nurture thing because not many people see crocodiles in their daily life. That's a nature thing where we've been predated upon up until this day by crocodiles and their ancestors. Um, so we, we have a very functional working fear of crocodiles. And that, that makes sense. But most of our fears are parents, society, people that we're around, um, instill something in us that we don't understand. We never go you know, further to further educate ourselves on what that fear is. So it always is this dark enigma you know, thing behind the, the closet door that could kill us. Um, the perfect example I draw is, is people say that they're chased by snakes. And um, I've been working with snakes for 20, 30 years now. I've never been chased by a snake. And I've done some pretty gnarly things with some pretty gnarly snakes. Um, and just this, this past December, I got married in South Africa on New Year's Eve. And the day before I got married, a, a black mamba went into our bar. And, um, and the, they were like, when I arrived, I was like, don't kill any snakes. I'll catch them. I'll move them. Don't worry. And they called me. They said, there's a snake in the bar. It's probably a mamba. So I was in you know, flip-flops and board shorts. It's the middle of summer in Africa. Went and caught the snake and brought it out and threw it on the grass. And I said to, there was probably 30 or 40 local people there. I'm like, this is a black mamba. Why isn't it chasing? Like, oh, no, you're doing something special. I'm like, no, it's a, it's a snake that once you pull it out of the darkness and you look at it, like, oh, you've got the same goals as I have. It's stay alive, you know, eat food, reproduce, and be happy. Um, if you run at, run at it with a shovel and start chopping it up, of course it's going to bite you and, and come after you and strike at you. But if you ran up to a human and start hitting them with a shovel, they'll probably <laughs> do the same thing. So it's, it's all, for me at least, it's about education. And that's kind of the, the TV show I did in Vegas. I'd finally had enough of people being like, snakes want to chase you, snakes want to kill you, you know, mambas will bite you in your sleep and rattlesnakes will hunt you down. Uh, and, and I pitched a show to, to Animal Planet a few years ago where I lived in that box in Vegas in full view of the public for 10 days with 100 snakes, um, with the biggest, gnarliest snakes in the world, you know, puffetters, gaboon vipers, rattlesnakes, mambas, green and black mamba, um, you know, spitting cobras, all sorts of things to say, well, what's the worst snake you can imagine? And everyone's like, oh, puffer, a kaboon viper or, or, or rattlesnake. I'm like, well, here I am walking around barefoot, you know, in a box where I have a shower, a laptop, um, and full view of the public, like these things should attack and kill me. And, and after 10 days, I had people, you know, saying I'm cured. Like I thought snakes would try and we didn't even see a snake in there. I'm like, well, that's what they do. They make their living from being invisible. They got no business messing with human beings. Interesting. So in this box, were they, they hiding and, and getting away from you? They weren't yeah, trying. We, we set it up that there were some hides, there were some trees, obviously a bed for me to sleep. And, and a couple of snakes tried to get into the bed a few times, but it's, <laughs> it's one of those you know, once, once you understand, like, once you, like, look at the world through a snake's eyes, and it's really easy because they've got such a simple brain, is, um, you know, they want to be warm, they want to eat, they want to reproduce. And that, that's ultimately it. That's the same reptilian brain we share with them. That's, that's the core driving, you know, ethos to them. Um, their venom is expensive to make if they are venomous. It's, it's like a complex protein that takes energy. It's like if you make something, you're not just going to throw it at a bird flying by or throw it at a car as it goes by. They, they preserve that. And they'll bite usually as a like lost defense. Um, usually they use what's crypsis and confusion, which is they either look like something else or they don't look like anything at all. So, you know, a snake, a snake tries to make itself invisible. Um, you know, it tries to make itself like get away. So it, it tries to escape. Then it will strike, like fake strike, and then it will actually strike. Um, they've got no interest in killing or eating humans. It's, it's a waste of an expensive protein. Um, and they, you know, they just, I, I've, I've tried it. I've done it. You know, I've been bitten by snakes and that was my fault. But for the most part, if you see a snake in the wild and we, we saw a bunch of mambas in the last few weeks, uh, they just run away. You know, the only time that they don't is when they cornered and then they freak out because they cornered. It's no different to a house cat or a dog. Um, so it's really easy to understand once you start researching these things. Um, sharks are another really good one. People think sharks are coming straight for us. The, the human mind has a, an issue 
you know, working out probability. And that's, you know, you, you think, oh, I'm going to get eaten by a shark. You've got a 1 in 400,000 chance of being eaten by a shark. You've got a 1 in 50,000 chance, that's 10 times as likely of being executed by the state of California. Uh, 1 in 500,000 chance of being hit by an asteroid. So you're almost as likely as being hit by an asteroid as by eaten by a shark, but you can get hit by an asteroid anywhere in the world. But people still think sharks are coming straight for you. So it's, it's a weird human dilemma being in this place where, you know, we just can't, you know, can't process the probability of something that's going to hurt us. When we're in an experience uh, of a dangerous animal, or let's say a venomous or an animal that could attack and harm us, what is the thing that we should do? Should, and can they, can they sense the fear, like people say they sense fear? Um, I think, and this is a, a working hypothesis, I think, you know, just like everything, that animals are vibratory creatures and they pick up on vibes without getting too new age and hippie and all that. But um, the best way to describe vibrations is, is the way you and I are communicating right now is, is you know, vocal or audio vibrations. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host summer the best time of year usually doesn't come with a great deal soaring temperatures come with soaring prices but what if there's another way with ikea your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable here everyone can have lounge chair access no reservations needed from affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Um, so if you, if you think of fear as a like, oh, God, I'm so scared, that, that's not necessarily it. But if your vibration changes from one of, you know, just you know, not, not understanding anything to attack and kill. The animals can definitely sense that. Um, you know, you, you can see it so, so blatantly with dogs. If you stand up and reach down to touch a dog, oftentimes they won't like it because flip the, the paradigm around, you're suddenly got this, you know, 20 foot, four foot tall creature reaching for your face. <laughs> it's not, it's not exactly cool. Drop to your knees, put your head down, and touch a dog on the bottom of its chest, and you'll see its entire demeanor change. And obviously, we've got a longer relationship with dogs than we do with other animals, but understanding that vibratory thing is, is a big, big one. Um, and you can feel it with humans. You, know, you walk into a room of humans, and there's someone that's just weird, and, and I can feel it. I'm like, oh, that's, that's a strange you know, energy. And whether it's the person is you know, on their own rant or, or very self-absorbed or whatever it is, you, you can definitely feel that. So when it comes to dangerous creatures, I think of it in, in two ways. It's like, what do they want out of the situation? How can I view the situation through their eyes? Um, and then when you know, everything goes amiss, which is you know, elephant charging you, lion charging you and all that, then the, then the opposite becomes true. Whatever you want to do, you want to give off a, a, a vibration. <laughs> or, a, yeah, B, B, don't run. Uh, like That's the, the funniest thing. You never run away from a dangerous animal. Uh, we're, we're some of the slowest moving creatures in the world. <laughs> um, and, and definitely in the savannah, we're, we're, we are the slowest moving creatures next to tortoises. So um, you know, it's one, one of those things where if an animal charges you, if you run, you get its attention even more. And I've, I've worked with big cats where you'll be laying with them, playing with them, they're all mellow, and you turn around and run away, and they can't help but charge you and grab you um, because it's built into their DNA. You know, wow. creature, creature running, I must chase. And you can see this with dogs and you know, normal house, and pet dogs very, very well. If a kid runs away, dogs are just, you know, it's ingrained in them to chase it. So dangerous situations, you know, uh, I, I look at them 
you know, sort of in, in time quanta. You know, what can I do immediately? What can I do in the next few seconds? What can I do in the next, you know, few minutes? Um, and, and oftentimes you can change the whole situation by what you're doing right now. And I think, um, you know, the, the biggest thing is not panicking. You know, panic is, is, is one of those, you know, overreactions to fear that it, it, it often doesn't make you do the right thing. So um, usually with, with deadly animals, whatever I think I should do, I do almost exactly the opposite. So if I think I should run, I stand still. <laughs> you know? wow. If I think I should be quiet, I make myself loud. Like there's, there's all these things that are totally counter to what we think is okay that really, really help. Um, you know, with, with snakes, it's a really easy one. If there's a deadly snake, you take a step back. It's not deadly anymore. It's like pr- pretty easy <laughs> to deal with. Um, so, so that's, that's my, my general thing on, on deadly animals. Um, but with, you know, other situations like base jumping and skydiving and motorcycles and, and all that, you know, the, the general mantra of, of, you know, panic slowly is, is a really good one because generally when you start panicking and freaking out and moving quickly and doing, you know, it, it never works out well. It usually, usually is pretty bad. Interesting. What's one of the scariest moments you've had with animals? Um, it's where, scary where, where you were like, Oh crap. Like this is really, <laughs> this is really bad. I don't know how to get uh, this one. Oh yeah. Okay. Well th- there is one that was, it was a kind of a lonely one too. I was bitten by a snake in, in, in Africa. Um, it was a research animal and I was, it was an American snake that I was working with in South Africa and I, and it bit me really badly on one hand and I, I immediately knew it was really bad. So I put a tourniquet on, which you shouldn't do, um, in most snake bites, I know the deal. So, so it was a, a different situation. But I tourniqueted, went to the hospital, wrote down what bit me. I wrote down my doctor's name and I collapsed. I woke up uh, three days later in ICU with a urinary catheter on a, on a ventilator, um, naked in the ICU. Yeah, I'd, I'd been on a ventilator for three days. And the story goes that I drove there, parked my car on the curb, left the door open, ran inside, uh, collapsed. They tubed me and then drove me to another hospital that had a ventilator. And a friend of mine was driving past the hospital and saw my car parked on the the, the curb. And he's like, huh, that's not good. (laughs) Goes inside and they they thought I was dead. Like I'd I'd collapsed and stopped breathing. So, you know, my family found out about it. They all came to visit me. And and three days later, they they used some experimental anti-venom and I woke up. Um, and I could breathe, but as, every time I fell asleep, I'd stop breathing. And that was one of those situations. Where I'm like, man, this is, this is not good. You know, this is not a, <laughs> a good place to be, but you know, in, in surviving that and in, it, it teaches you such a huge lesson. Then you're like, okay, well, tomorrow's not promised. You know, you're not invincible. You need to, you know, be a little bit safer. You need to understand these things a little bit better. So you're never in that situation again. So that, that was probably the gnarliest experience for me. Um, the gnarliest experience where things went really well was probably that elephant um, encounter we had last year that was was really, it was one of those, you know, hectic situations that went from really good to really bad to really good within the course of about 10 seconds. So you didn't really have time to to process how bad things are going because it turned out so well. What happened? We were in Kenya working with um, uh, Kenya Wildlife Services, who manages one of the biggest um, wild areas in Africa, the Savo National Reserve, which is which is famous for elephants and, and man-eating lions. Um, that movie Ghosts in the Darkness was was based on the Savo elephants. Um, so we were there working with them. Um, there's a massive elephant rhino poaching situation going on in in in, in Africa, essentially. Um, you know elephants and rhinos being killed for their horns and tusks so we're out there filming um what the work that these guys were doing and this elephant had a poisoned arrow in its knee so the host of the show that that we produce uh dominic monahan we went and dodged the elephant fixed it found the arrow pulled the arrow out recovered the animal um and was having a hard time getting up so it was one of those situations everyone got you know off the ground cleared the area they reversed the animal and couldn't stand up and and you know uh, in in the hot temperatures and the African sun, you want to make sure this creature moves because you know if it doesn't, it's going to die. So we went back, tied a um, a strap to its tusk to pull it up, so to help it on its way. And in doing that, you know the crew got closer and closer, just started inching in. And I saw this happening, and then eventually I was like, okay, this is way this is way too close. So I started walking in to tell them to get back. As I got within about six feet of them, um, the elephant jumped up and, and stormed the the, the cameraman. Uh, and it was one of those situations where 
he started standing up. So everyone turned to run and, and the elephant just fixated on the cameraman, like just saw him. And he uh, you look at it from the elephant's point of view, he's walking around, he's been hit by a poison arrow in his knee, his knees rotting off by humans and he knows it's humans. And then suddenly he falls asleep, wakes up and he's surrounded by humans again. He thinks he's being killed. Mm. So we're running away um, and the cameraman, because he's carrying a big camera, is like lagging behind. Oh. Um, and, and I'm running, I get to the getaway car, uh, which is our you know, planned points of rendezvous and as i'm getting close a guy points ak-47 at my face i'm like oh this isn't good like mm -mm. <laughs> this isn't part of the plan and as i look back i see our cameraman fall and go basically fetal like what i saw is he balled up and i was like oh man and in the worst running thing you can the do audio, or... say what is that the worst thing you can do go fetal or what um, well, at that point, no. I mean, it's it's just uh, you don't want to be fetal in front of a charging bull elephant. Like it was one of those things where, <laughs> yeah. where we're running and you can just hear the elephant stomping behind you because it's an elephant, you know, and then a trumpeting. And it's, it felt like an anxiety dream when as you the, the faster you're running, the closer it's getting. Wow. And it's, it, this is happening like and in the footage, the footage is shot on the iPhone because our executive producer was in the field. So it's really bad, but you get the gist of it. And I turn around and I see Frank fall. And I'm like, man. So what went through my head is this guy's got an AK-47. He's going to shoot the elephant, which oh. if you, unless you're an absolute precise marksman with an AK-47, you're not going to kill the elephant. You're just going to piss it off. Right. So I'm like, okay, Frank's dead. The elephant's going to get hit by an AK. Now there's 20-odd people in the field with the getaway cars leaving. I'm like, this is going to be a massacre. Like this, is, this elephant's going to kill people until it gets stopped. You know, And I don't see anyone with an elephant gun. Everyone's got AK-47s. So I turned around and I ran back to the elephants. You talk about these vibrational things. Um, I ran back to the elephants and I saw Frank. I'm like, okay, well, if I can get to Frank, that's awesome. But Frank's probably dead. Um, so I started screaming to get the elephant's attention and ran up. And um, we stopped about two or three feet away from each other. And I'll never what? forget because, yeah, I, I stopped between his tusks. And he stopped looking at me. And, and his eyes were about two feet above the top of my head. Um, and, you know, minutes before I'd been rubbing him and like filming him and like telling him that he's going to be okay. And we stopped and I, I stopped and, and like I'm going to cuss now. And, and it's, it's, it's a, uh, just because that's what happened. And, and I said to him, you get the F out of here. And like I, I, it's in the audio. Like I basically had a conversation. I'm like, dude, you need to leave. Like these guys are going to shoot you. And he stopped. He looked at me and he almost sighed and turned around and walked away. Shut and I was like, wow, up. that's that's interesting and the, the footage and the stills i'm standing between his tusks with my hand between his eyes like and it was one of those those afterwards i was like Phew. and i spoke to frank i'm like frank you okay he's like yeah um the audio guy had tripped and grazed his knee so i put some antibiotic ointments on his knee and then we kind of you know decompressed and sh shook it off and then we watched the footage and it was like it's kind of like i remembered it i ran up when we stopped our dust hit each other so like full-on cartoon style where your cloud of dust, Shut like up. you know, his cloud of dust hit me, my cloud of dust hit him. And I'll never forget because when he was laying on the ground, his tusks were so big, they were as tall as I was standing and I'm six foot one, oh, so laying gosh. down. So you can imagine sideways, he had a six-foot gap and I was standing in that six-foot gap. So that was one of those situations where I think, you know, if, if I'd thought about that, then it would have been too late. Like my 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 gut is run away. So I'm like, well, the only thing left to do is run towards. <laughs> you know, like wow. this, this running away thing is obviously not working. Plus, you know, having a guy point a gun in your face is a really good incentive to turn around and run the other way. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Is that, is that video online? Yeah, it's um, it's actually in the episode a lot better because um, the video I've got online, I sent you a link to it. It's just an iPhone yes. video. Um, in the episode, in this Wild Things episode, you actually see the whole, you know, going out, finding the elephant, darting him, fixing his knee, and then the, oh, the aftermath. Yeah. yeah. But it's, um, yeah, the afterwards, and, you know, we found out this is after we, we had this happen. Uh, this elephant's name's Jacob. He's been living in the area for 40 odd years. Everyone knows him. Um, they've been poached so heavily in Savo that they've actually been going into this little area where people go and, um, you know, stay. It's like a little uh, hotel area and breaking down the walls to get inside because they figure that they're safe inside there, that they're not safe out in the savannah. And like, you hear that, you're like, man, it shot in front of me. It would have been one of the most terrible. If Frank oh. had died in front of me, it would have been the most terrible situations ever. Oh but, gosh. you know, it was, it, it was, you know, kind of follow your heart without being too hippie and new age. But it seemed mm -hmm. to make the most sense. I'm like, I don't want the elephant to get hurt. I don't want Frank to get hurt. If I'm, you know, 
if I'm pretty certain that this is the reason I'm doing it, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get hurt. Um, and and it, it worked out. Amazing. Now, do you think, uh, and we're gonna, I'm going to have that linked up uh, on the yep. show, show notes as well for people because that's uh, incredible. So thanks for sharing that story. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think someone can conquer their fears or do you think you can conquer all of your fears or do you just have to learn how to push through the uncomfortableness? Um, I think anyone can conquer any fear, but it's, it's up to, it's a personal, you know, personal choice thing. Um, if, if someone has a fear and they, they sort of attach to that fear and it's better for them to, to use that than to, to educate themselves, I think that that's a, that's a personal choice. But, um, you know, I, I'm scared of heights as most human beings are. And, um, you know, I've, I've base jumped a bunch of times and, and that was interesting because the scariest part is right before you do it. Once you do it, then everything's fine. It's almost like a release. So you're like, oh, wow, that's great. Even before the parachute opens, you're like, this is the best feeling in the world. <laughs> you know, so I think anyone can can get themselves through through any fear. It's just if they want to do it, it's like anyone can get in shape. But it's, you know, you can't force a person to go, go to gym. It's either a, a choice I, I guess it's down to intention. If someone's really intent on conquering a fear, I think anything's possible. And and I think that the answer is through through you know education, understanding what they're scared of. You think it's also just practicing it, like facing the fear and then doing it over and over while you're educating yourself, or is there another process? Some sometimes immersion is the best thing. You know, I, I've found that if if a person is scared of snakes, sometimes just like having a snake around their neck is like one of those wow. things where they're like, oh, oh, yeah, this, this is not that I expected it to be wet and slimy and kill me. And you're like, well, <laughs> no, <it's, laughs> and and that's you know wherever I go, I try and educate people on at least snakes because they they're pretty ubiquitous. Um, but but a lot of fears are are they once they pulled out into the light and examined warts and all, they aren't that bad. You know, we, yeah. we just we, it's a it's a mental cage for ourselves to be like, oh I can't do that. That's way too scary. Like, sure. Oh. Do you think it's the fear of it uh, of whatever we're doing that makes things more exciting or can something be super exciting without having the fear of it? Uh, you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> what's the, what's lot, the right a question? Lot, a lot of, no, you're asking the wrong person. A lot of oh. what I do is, is kind of fear-based. And I think, you know, uh, it's, it's, you know, understanding, um, you know, sort of how, how our bodies work, um, you know, chemically is, is an interesting one because everyone's like, you're adrenaline addicts. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm like, uh, adrenaline is the unfun one. If we're going to go down to like how your body reacts, adrenaline, you know, makes you all, fidgety and irritable and and fast reactions and dilated pupils and and like basically fight or flight i'm like i hate that like, that was like the that was like the elephants the elephant yeah. story i'm yeah. like I, I that that's not where i want to be like i i like the the opposite of that you know if you look at it as a gas and brakes analogy the the gas is adrenaline which you know is the scary one and then dopamine is the brakes which slows you down it's the reward hormone it's called the you know the the hug uh, hormone when when you get hugs and give hugs it's how you feel it's a sense of accomplishment that's more what i'm attached to so so bathing in fear is is not necessarily where i go it's sometimes a side effect or or you know, it's a it's a knock off of of these these accomplishments that I do, um, but obviously, if you you know if you're working with a, a a house cat or you're working with a tiger, there's certainly a lot more you know sense of accomplishment once you finish working with a tiger. Um, but I think a, a decent amount of fear in in someone's life is is probably a good thing, and, and not necessarily fear, maybe maybe the unknown, mm. um, and and people often they fear change they fear um you know breaking status quo um you know the human condition is we want uh consistency yet seek new experiences so we want we want everything to stay the same but we want change and that's the duality (laughs) of it and and you know you know if we just carry on doing what we're doing we'll get what we've always got which is fine for some people but sometimes it's going to a new gym or meeting a new person or striking up a conversation with someone you normally never would um, or jumping off a mountain or, you know, swimming with sharks, um, you know, as a collective consciousness, the things that we're doing in the last five years have totally blown away what human evolution's done before that. Um, you know, people are able to go from not having ever done anything athletic to, to, you know, being world-class wingsuit base jumpers in two years. Like this collective consciousness thing is, is absolutely amazing. We've got kids at 13 years old doing things on skateboards tony hawk still can't do and you're like well what is this you know how how is that even possible so fear you know is justified you know obviously we still finite mortal human beings and we can die but at the same time we're doing things that 
you know, up until a year ago or two years ago or five years ago were impossible. I just saw a kid do a, a front flip on a motorcycle down in New Zealand um, for Nitro Circus. And, and, you know, up until 10 years ago, back flips were almost impossible. Now guys are doing front flips. They look, mm. they look physically impossible. You look at it and you're like, this is, how is this even possible in this reality? And, and kids are doing it. Insane. What, what do you think drives you to push the limits of physical and mental, mental performance and endurance? Um, anytime people say I can't do something, it's a, <laughs> it's like, you know, a red flag bull kind of thing. I think that we, we get most accomplished and we accomplish most when we resonate with our true potential. And if, if our true potential is doing one thing our whole life and becoming an absolute, you know, samurai, an absolute master, that's fine. But I, I feel like there's a lot of people out there that are, you know, going out and, and experiencing a lot of things and trying to resonate to that highest frequency. Um, and that's, that's it for me. I, I want to experience the world from as many different points of view as possible. Um, and if that means I have to have four or five different you know, lives I live in, mm-hmm. you know, it's absolutely perfect. But you know, having a, 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 the, there's an old proverb, you know, if you want to see the whole world, look at it through, look at it through everyone's eyes. And it's, it's totally true. If, if I you know, understand the world from a person who lays carpets to a guy who does motorcycle repairs to a guy that you know, buses food and then jumps out of planes and then you know, is a PA on a, on a set and is a host on a set, you, you, you understand the world so much better rather than this myopic sort of, oh, this is you know, the world according to Donald. Well, this is the world according to Donald and all his friends. Mm, that's interesting. I'm curious to think about, uh, you know, we, we had a conversation in Austin about this, about some of your friends who have had near-death experiences who have died. Some of your friends have died working with animals and working with, uh, you know, venomous snakes and different different things in the wild. Um, and you also mentioned that there are some people who you think are a little reckless in this kind of extreme animal caring field. One in particular, the line whisperer, which I think he's awesome. And I love, Mm -hmm. like, I love the photos and videos and things he does. I'm like, dude, this is amazing. Like who wouldn't want to like snuggle with a, you know, a a tiger or a lion or whatever, you know? And, um, what is it about some of these people who have, uh, I guess slipped up and made these mistakes where it's been fatal for them? I want to, what I want to talk about in this moment is how to get in the flow in the zone, Mm. because I feel like, as an athlete, as an entrepreneur, when I'm speaking, uh, flow is the most valuable, I guess, asset that I can have or tap into in order to get the best out of my performance in the moment. And it sounds like all the different things that you do, you know, base jumping, skydiving, motorcycles, everything you do, you've got to be in flow. Otherwise, you're going to get hurt. Otherwise, you're going to get bit or something fatal could happen. So I'm trying to figure out the best way to ask this question, but I want to talk about flow, how you mm-hmm. get in, how you get into it, and why uh, is are people not in flow when fatal things happen? So I, it's a combination of things because I've you know through through base jumping, I've, I've a lot of my friends have died a lot more than, than certainly in mm-hmm. animals, um, and that's a um, it's a, it's a rough one. Actually, I lost a friend about ten days ago um, in yeah. Michigan that died. Yeah, and it's 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 you know it's not unforeseen you know if you're jumping off of a you know 2000 foot rock with some fabric and trying to fly inches above the ground there's there's a certain attrition rate which is understandable but the the flow thing is a really interesting one um i was very much um of this world and thought that you know everything happens when i make it happen and, and that's it and that's a very you know sort of childish point of view because you understand the whole universe you know talk about vibration talk about flows and waves and that it works in that and either you can be in the flow and and surf the wave just like a surfer or you can try and force a wave when there's no surf and then you end up paddling a hell of a lot and looking like an idiot um and that's certainly the 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 way it goes with with everything i do i try and be in flow as much as possible intuition um is is a huge thing that people have turned their minds and their backs and their their entire lives on um if I don't feel something, I'll just walk away. Um, I've been on, on exit points. I've been working with animals where I'm like, I'm not feeling it. And, you know, this animal's not going anywhere. The mountain's not going anywhere. You know, this, the, the shoot is not worth it. Like, there's no video that's worth my life. I'd rather work, walk away than, than do it. And then, you know, the other big thing that it comes into is statistics. You know, I talked about probability and shark attacks. Um, you know, there's a certain there's a certain safe level where you do things. And then there's that, you know, sort of, 
chance level where there's a chance things will go wrong. Um, and when you talk about you know working with animals, if you're you know sh- shooting ten episodes of a show a year, that's fine. When you start shooting twenty, then you're doubling the chance of being hurt. Mm-hmm. Then you start doing additional things while you're doing that. That that increases the chances. Of, you know, taking it back to the shark analogy, if you're swimming in the ocean in in Southern California, you're probably safe. If you're swimming in the ocean at sunset in Florida in murky water, you're like, well, then your then your probability's gone through the roof, and that's not the shark's fault. That's your fault. Like you've yeah. chosen this. So if you're working with a deadly animal and you're tired in you know difficult situation, that's when it gets gnarly. And if you're doing a lot of um, you know dangerous things, then statistically it goes up. So um, you know guys have been hurt with working with dangerous animals, it's a combination of bad luck, which, which sounds terrible because, you know, we have no control over luck. Um, you know, like Owen is a perfect example being hit by a stingray. Like that's, you, you couldn't script that. Like if someone told me that as a, as a Hollywood script, it says, you know, just not plausible. Um, you know, then you have, um, people getting complacent, which it's difficult to do because you work with animal after animal and every animal's getting, you know, you, you learning that flow more and more, and then one day you're going into your normal flow with an animal, and this animal's got no experience with human beings or got no experience with you or your situation, and you take a liberty that this this animal's not okay with, and it bites you. You know, if my little wiener dog has a bad day, he growls at me. If I'm working with an orca and has a bad day, it kills you. Yeah. Um, so that's where the the difference comes into it. But if I walk into a situation and things don't feel quite right. I'm like, okay, what is what is wrong? Is this is this me? Is this someone else? Is this the situation? Like, why am I not feeling this? Um, and if I can't quantify it and say, now I, I, I can just be like, I'm I'm not doing it. Like, it, it's, it just doesn't, it, you know. And and I always think of things, funnily enough, from the 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 um, from the point of view of testifying in court. Well, your honor, it seemed like a great idea at the time, you know, like we were, we we're on an exit point and it's windy and it's about to start raining, but we've done a two hour hike. So we are up here. So we might as well just try and jump right. because the last we have to hike back down. And then, you know, in retrospect, you're like, why, why? It's not even an option. You know, that these perceived pressures are not, not even, they're not real. So it's not worth a TV show. It's not worth no, an episode. Yeah. It's not worth a video. Like we've become so, and especially in the base jumping world, people have become so obsessed with the video or the selfie or the still, or it's like, well, what about the experience? Like it, it changes the entire experience when you bring cameras into it. So, you know, instead of me going at 90%, which is what I usually do, as soon as cameras are there, I dial it back to 75% to give some sort of a, a, a buffer area. Um, and then if there's more variables, I dial it back more and more and more. And, and a lot of guys that get hurt, um, you know, especially in extreme sports stuff, it's Kodak courage. You know, I've had friends die uh, trying to get a shot, you know, trying to film someone no so they're not looking where they're going and they fly into a wall. Um, oh. and, that, and that's for a video. It's just, it's just not worth it, you know. Have you ever backed out on a, a jump? Many times, many, many times. I, I'd say um, towards the end of my career, because I, I quit base jumping about a year and a half ago. It was a, it was a rough time. Um, just before that, seven of my friends had died in seven days. Well, seven oh. guys had died in seven days. Three of them were friends of mine. Um, and then, you know, it was one of those things where the, the circle got smaller and smaller. At first in base jumping, you hear about someone dying, and then you know a guy that dies, and you know a guy well that dies, and then one of your friends dies. Oh. And then two of my, my best men from my wedding, both of them got really badly hurt. They probably should, both should have died. Wow. And, and I was like, oh, this is not, this is not good. Um, this is not, yeah, it's not, it's not an accident, you know? So, um, I um, decided to, to, to back out of base jumping and it was the best decision that's happened because we've lost so many uh, friends since. You still do skydiving? Yeah, I still do skydiving. Um, I still do skydiving and, and, and one of the things I'm doing now is, is wingsuit proximity flying out of helicopters. So, um, you know, I cost-benefit analysis. I um, looked at what's the most deadly thing in base jumping and it's usually the exit. You know, you jump off a rock and you try and start to get flying and it takes about three or four seconds. Um, and if you don't, then you often hit the rock and that's where most yeah. of my friends have been dying. So I was like, well, I can do this out of a helicopter, do all the <laughs> things I still want to do. It's still dangerous because it's, you know, proximity flying, but you're taking out the most dangerous variable and um, I get to still do all the amazing things I want. You know, it's still, still flying like you're in a dream, you know, flying over hillsides wow. and through trees and over grassy meadows and that. So, you know, kind of looked at where the, where the benefit was, where the biggest cost was and, and alleviated that. And it, it seemed to make sense. And, and um, yeah, it's, it, it's as, as you get older, you know, the, 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 the juice has to be worth the squeeze. And I think with base jumping, it's, it's one of those situations like, 
most things in life, it's just very apparent base jumping where you're sitting down at a table, putting all the chips on the table and you're like, okay, cool, let's go. And it's, <laughs> <laughs> and people don't realize like the small things that they do that are like that, like getting in a car or texting or, you know, things where they're like, okay, here's all the chips. Um, and if this works out, I get a, a small benefit, but if it doesn't, I lose everything. And that's, that's right. a, when, when you start looking at it like that, it definitely changes your perspective. Yeah, I'm interested. When I was in college, I did an internship uh, at a life insurance company, and I became licensed to to sell life insurance back then. And you basically do everything against what you're supposed to do to get a good premium for life insurance. So I'm <laughs> curious: Do you have a policy, or even insurable? And if so, what is your premium? <laughs> it's it's interesting that that you ask that because like insurance, I think some of the stuff that they just don't get, like through yeah. through production insurance, I'm insured for all of this. Um, and and one of the things that they're the gnarliest about, believe it or not, is scuba diving. Um, but the rest of the stuff, you know, obviously don't play up the the level. But I'm like, yeah, skydiving, <laughs> wingsuiting, shark diving, diving. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wildlife expert, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not giving you know more information, but that's yeah, that's yeah. pretty much it. And one of the things I did too is I, I stopped riding motorcycles on the street. Um, I just ride motorcycles on the track, and you know it's one of those. Where's the, where do you get the most benefit from it? Where can you push the hardest safely? Um, you know what is the the real like? Is it is it more fun riding down the four or five you know in in rush hour, or is it more fun riding on a track in full leathers with a medic standing by? It's like well, obviously on the track, so why not right. why not just do that? That's funny. Um, let's get to know you are insurable. What is your what does your wife think about all this and how does it play in your relationship with uh, you being gone? You know, you traveled, you know, six to 12 months at a time doing these adventures and experiences and filming and traveling over the world. What is uh, her, you know, connection with you like when you're gone and uh, how does that affect the decisions you make? Um, it, it affects him greatly, and and, and you know we we've been dating. We just got married in December, but we've been dating for it will be five years. Would have been five years this March, and when when we met, you know, I was already wingsuiting, I was already base jumping, I was already working with animals. She actually worked at the company I was working at in post production on one of the shows I was producing. So we met at work, and you know, through the production offices, posters of me and and all sorts of things because we had done a bunch of shows. Uh, so she thought I was the typical Hollywood, you know, sort of <laughs> hosting douchebag kind of dude. And, you know, I had a Ducati, I had a Porsche, which which is totally unlike me. Like the, the, the Porsche had camo car seats and the Ducati was a track bike. Like it, it, was, it was weird because she had this perception of me. Um, and I, I'm totally not like that. I just I like doing fun things. And as we started dating, it got more and more serious. And then she she realized that, you know, that I do certain things, I take a certain amount of risk, but everything's calculated. And as we started dating, you know, the risks became more calculated, less sort of random, um, and and sort of more, I want to say, work based. Like doing less things just just to do them, and doing more things for for real purpose. Sure. Uh, so I, I did an interview with with Men's Health a few years ago, where it said uh, I said to the, the reporter that once I get married, I'll stop base jumping, and once I have kids, I'll stop wingsuiting. Um, but yeah, it came to a point about a year and a half ago where I was like, the base jumping isn't, it's not like it's going to get that much better. Um, I feel like I passed the, <laughs> you know, the, the meaty part of the, the bell curve and like it's just, you know, sort of tiny little improvements now. And it's just not worth, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. Yeah. So I quit that and, you know, other things, you know, standing about to do something, you ask yourself, you know, is, is it worth it? Is it worth, you know, playing for all the marbles? And, and that's, that's not a fear thing. I guess that's an experience thing. Uh, a, a guy once said that you know when you start base jumping, and this is true for for life, you know you have two jars, uh, one's empty, one's full, um, and the the empty one is experience, and the full one is uh, luck. And every time you do something, you take one you know coin out of the 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 luck jar and you put it into the experience jar. And at some point, you're going to be really really experienced, but you're going to run out of luck. Mm. Um, so, so my, my feeling is before I run out of luck, I try and just tap out on, <laughs> on some of these things. That's interesting. I want to ask you a couple final questions before we sure. wrap it up. Um, what is the most interesting thing you've learned about yourself throughout this entire journey of life? 
um, we get exactly what we want. Um, sometimes not only what we what we want, but what we need. Um, and there's a big difference. So you know, a couple of times I've been standing on a helicopter skid over you know a mountain somewhere, about to jump off, scared out of my 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 you know sort of living being, and asking myself why am I there? And it, and it hits me like a ton of bricks. It's because like you wanted this, like you 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 made this happen. <laughs> I guess this didn't happen by accident. It wasn't like you're walking down a passageway somewhere and you turn right and you were on a helicopter skid. So I, I, I think that, you know, we get, you know, as beings, we manifest everything that we sometimes want and sometimes need. And, and you know, if we want something really badly, doesn't mean it's going to necessarily it's going to happen. But, but if we need something, oftentimes those lessons will reveal themselves. That's a great one. I like that. What is next for you in your journey? And is there anything you won't try? Um, Next for me, we're doing this uh, amazing documentary about uh, PTSD um, and uh, using ayahuasca to, to treat it. Um, and we've been working on this for the last six months or so, and we, we're in production for the next 18 months or so. So that's going to be a big one. Um, and that's a departure from what I usually do. Um, you know, I feel like as a, as a human being, I went out and explored the whole world. You know, I wanted to see everything, experience everything, try everything, do everything, you know, um, touch everything. Um, and after, you know, what, whatever it's been, 37 years of, of doing that, um, I, I reached a point where I'm like, oh, okay, that, that's cool. I'm, I think I have a working, you know, hypothesis for the outside world. Now what's inside? Mm. Um, and so doing a lot more research into, into you know, the, the, evolution, uh, the evolution of human beings based on entheogens. So, so sacred medicines like mushrooms and ayahuasca and peyote and all that. Um, and that led me down a path to um, some people that are doing amazing work using ayahuasca to treat PTSD in war veterans. So that's that's kind of my next big thing is we we um, doing a documentary about PTSD war veterans getting treated with sacred medicine. Interesting. That's pretty cool. And, yeah, and then what I won't do, um, I won't do, <laughs> I, I won't do. I guess the the best way to put this without sounding conceited because I, I hate. There's friends of mine, you know, base jumpers that will be like, oh, I can't believe people have a nine-to-five job and sit behind a desk. They're such idiots. And I'm like, well, that's not an idiotic point of view. That's just someone else's point of view. And I I could see myself doing that. But I think, um, you know, one of the things I won't do is settle. You know, I won't settle for Mm. something just because it's what I have, you know, I, 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 some of the most amazing things have come to me when I'm sitting on a sidewalk broke, you know, nothing on the horizon, feeling like the whole world's turned its back on me. I'm like, Oh, I can't get any worse than this. Um, and that's when the most amazing things happen. So, so I'll never, I'll never settle. I, I don't think I'll ever, um, you know, be happy to just like I, I'm always going to be happy, but I'm always going to strive for the, for, for the best. Mm, I like that. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, guys like me and you, we have, we have unconventional lives and careers, let's say, I mean, yours is a little more unconventional than mine, but mine is not the typical nine to five. And I, and then when I speak to people about this, it's not about like, you know, you're, you're wrong or something or bad. If you're, or you're not living a fulfilled life, if you're living in that, if you're doing the nine to five, I think if you're doing the nine to five and you're going to after something you're passionate about and working with a bigger brand or cause or um, and there's a bigger mission that you're on board with then and that fulfills you, then cool. Just make sure you're not settling for what you're up to. Um, if it's kind of the, the quote unquote conventional way of going about it. Yeah. But, but I think, you know, if, you know, some people like that, they like the structure, they like having a team that they get to be around constantly and they like to have a bigger mission that they're a part of. So nothing wrong with it. It's just not, uh, you know, what guys like you and I do. Well, I mean, the, the, the easy way around that is to make your, and, and the, I took this from this podcast that we attended in, in Austin, make your, your um, passion your profession and it's not yeah. work. You know, then, then you want to get up and you want to go to work and you, you're stoked to do it and rather than being, ah, I'm doing this again, this just sucks. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, don't settle for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, two final questions. Sure. Uh, the first one is, what are you most grateful for in your life lately? Being alive, like you know, the, the it, it sounds so hippie cliche, and 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 but like the the idea that if you look at human evolution four billion years uh, to get our planet to where it is, whether you're a creationist or evolutionist or, or believe a bit of both, like I am, like there's a there's a grand mathematician behind all of this making it happen. Um, we're on a knife's edge, you know. We've we've come through all this evolution to planet earth to go through all this evolution to come to this point now where 
we are literally on a knife's edge. There's the most incredible things happening scientifically, spiritually, um, you know, mentally. People are doing things that we, we couldn't even imagine. Um, and it's not like it's uh, we know the outcome. You know, the world could implode. Uh, you know, we could die out. We could not. Um, you know, there's all these these amazing people doing amazing things. Um, and and as long as you're as long as you wake up in the morning and you're alive and you're breathing, there's still a chance. Um, there's still a chance to do good, to make change, to to see stuff, to to influence the universe. Um, and and that's I, that's it sounds really really corny hippie, but the fact that I'm alive is 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 no you know it, it's 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 a huge gift, and I'm, I never ever take that for granted. Mm, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Well, before I ask the final question, Donald, I want to acknowledge you really quickly for the courage that you have had your entire life, because even though it may not seem like courage to you in some senses for everyone else, what you're doing is very courageous and brave uh, to serve. You're serving animals and you're serving by educating humans on how to interact and, and, and live and experience with these animals. And also through... I acknowledge you for living a fulfilled life and chasing your dreams and, you know, jumping for everything that you want to go after, literally. And uh, I think it's so cool that there are people like you who are examples of this in the world because there are, you know, 90 something percent of people probably aren't going after what they're what fully makes them alive. And I can see that when I talk to you and connect with you and through watching your videos that you definitely go after what you want. And it's so refreshing to uh, experience that and see that you're doing that. So thank you. And I, well, thank you so much. and I acknowledge you for that. Yeah. So the final question, this has been a fun interview and uh, we're going to have everything linked up in the show notes. I'll let people know what that is here in a second. We'll have videos with uh, Donald doing crazy things all over the world. So make sure to check out those show notes and follow Donald everywhere. Uh, but the final question is, what is your definition of greatness? Um, well, Schrodinger, who you know famously did the whole alive, dead, cat, cyanide experiment and talked about superposition and all that, um, he, he said that the, the sum of the conscious minds of the world is one, of the universe is one. So we all share the same consciousness. And that's you know, echoed in religions and you know, mythologies and all that. And I think the... The understanding is that we're all, you know, leaves on a tree, we're all the same tree, but we're yet to have our exclusive, important, you know, unique experience. So I think greatness isn't something you quantify based on someone else's frame of reference. I think greatness is accomplishing what you set out to do, you know, before you came here and then set out to accomplish while you were here. And that isn't necessarily like, I want to cure cancer, I want to go to the moon. It's a day-to-day accomplishment of, you know, I'm going to, you know, capitalize and and do the most I can in this one day. Tomorrow's not promised, you know, yesterday's gone. Uh, I think greatness is each person, you know, resonating to their highest frequency and accomplishing as much as that they they can do in their lifetime. Um and that's that's greatness. Um someone said that there's only 2 days a year you can't work and that's yesterday and tomorrow. Um, and, and that's kind of the way I see it. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, greatness isn't like oh, one day I'm going to climb Everest. One day I'm going to do this. You know, it's a moment to moment expression of happiness. Like that, that's truly enlightenment too. It's not, you know, not going to Tibet or Peru or, or you know, meditating for 10,000 hours. It's the moment to moment realization that this is, this, is, this is a gift. This is amazing. This is great. Um, and, and that's the way I try and try and live my life, you know, not too much in the past, not too much in the future, really, really in the now. Um, and then trying to make this now as amazing as, as it can be. I love that answer. Thanks so much, Donald. I appreciate <laughs> you, man. And, uh, we'll have to bring you back on after your next adventure. Thank you, Lewis. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I'd love to catch up anytime. There you guys have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please go back to the show notes at lewishouse.com slash 131. There's going to be some videos over there that you're going to want to check out of Donald doing some crazy things that we talked about. So make sure to check that out. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. Again, lewishouse.com slash 131. And also let me know what is your biggest fear. So in the comments section below this episode, type in what your biggest fear is and what you learned about how to overcome fear from this episode. 
Again, big shout out to Donald. Make sure to follow him all over online and social media and uh, see what his next adventure is and what he's up to. I appreciate you guys so much. We've got some awesome interviews coming up soon. If this is your first episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and start listening to some of the previous episodes. We've had some incredible people on this podcast. We just hit our two-year anniversary, and uh, we've got some great guests coming up. So again, thank you so much for coming on. You know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. person or a bedtime procrastinator everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style and you'll find the best mattress for you at ashley the new temper adapt collection at ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body conforming technology making every sleep tailored to be your best the collection also features cool to the touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners pets or kids shop the all-new temper adapt collection at ashley in store or online at ashley.com ashley for the love of home At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.